Hello, Russell Howard here. Right now, I'm in America on tour, and while I'm here, I thought it'd be a good idea to record some special episodes of Wonderbox with comedians who rarely come to Britain. In case it's your first time listening, a Wonderbox is a place to keep things that remind you of all the best things from your life. So that's what this is, me and a guest talking about the things that make them happy. My guest on today's show is an exciting comic from New York who's quickly making a name for herself as a stand-up with brutal frankness. This is Maddie Wiener's Wonderbox. So, uh, I'm here with Maddie Wiener. Hello, thank you for having me. We're in America. You're an American stand-up. I am. Is it easy for you to talk about things you love, or are you uh, a naturally glum person? I think I'm a pretty... I think I'm a pretty like bubbly, positive person. But then I feel like on stage people might not see that because that's the one time that I feel like I'm allowed to be like angry and be like, what the fuck is this? And yeah, like, yeah. it's the one time that you're like rewarded for being kind of unpleasant. That, well, that's the majesty of stand up that you can be whatever you want to be. Mm. And then you can just sort of wander home. And yeah. just go back into your actual life. And then I just go home and I'm like, oh, I'm just more like Winnie the Pooh vibes. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> so what is the what is the first thing you want to pop in? The first thing on my list yeah. is, uh, have you ever seen Cannibal the Musical? Cannibal the Musical? So I, no. Trey Parker and Matt Stone, yeah. the South Park guys in college at like, I, they went to college in Colorado and did this like indie DIY, like $2 budget movie called Cannibal the Musical yeah. based on a real cannibal who like lived near the campus. That's not the item on my list. My item is the DVD commentary of that because it's just them getting drunk and him explaining that the horse is like a metaphor for his ex-girlfriend who he was like engaged to and then she broke off the engagement. And it's this like guy in like his 20s before South Park really took off, just kind of like falling apart. And it makes me really happy. Wow. So it's called Cannibal the Musical. Yeah. So, and there's a guy that lived off campus that used to eat people. Yeah. So is that true or that's false? That is true. Not when they were there, but like years before. Right. Okay. Because the way you explained it, it made it sound like there was just some guy <laughs> that was randomly eating kids. Yeah. They, they made a musical about the act of murders happening. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like true crime is big, but if you set it to a beat, it's going to go off. <laughs> and he would eat people. And where does the horse come in? Like, So they wrote the, a musical about like these travelers who are like cross paths with the cannibal. Right. And they're traveling on a horse Got and it you. becomes a whole thing that like the horse leaves him and he like sings this like love song to the horse. Right. And then in the DVD commentary, he gets drunk and he's like, yeah, I named the horse after my girlfriend. She left me. Like, So it's just an, uh, it's an utter unraveling where we see this creative kind of just shed himself. Yeah. And that's what you're into. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But it feels like that, that was almost the birthplace of podcasts. Do you know what I mean? It's so rare that you kind of get to spend time with geniuses and they just get a bit pissed and they share the the truth. Yeah. And like pre-South Park, it's like, no, they probably didn't really think people were going to listen to this. Like they weren't, you know, probably aware that it was on such a big platform that yeah. but it was like, you're really just hearing this guy genuinely talk about why he made this movie. And it's objectively kind of a bad movie. Like, you know what right. I mean? It's like shot when they were in college. So it's like. It's cool to see, like, the raw emotion of it is yeah. like, oh, he's just saying what he thinks because they probably didn't think anybody was going to really watch the DVD commentary of an already, like, unknown movie, you know? Yeah. But it's also the fact that they go on to become the guys that created Book of Mormon and South Park. Yeah. And it's so kind of refreshing, I guess, to hear these infants 
talking about their mistakes. Mm. Yeah, totally. So what do you get from it? Is it that sense of what do you find so interesting about the unravel? I think it's cool that it's like pure creative fun. It, it, it shows that these guys were doing it before they were getting like commercial success. And it's like, oh, you really made this just because you had something to say and it was involuntary and you wanted to get it out and you were doing it for the fun of making the thing. Yeah. And it's cool to know that they were like that before they had like such commercial success, you know? And were you like that when you started doing stand-up? Do you feel like you echo that? I hopefully, well, yeah, I did. I did start it not thinking I was going to do it for a living. Like I started. No one does. That's the majesty of it. You, you start it with that, right, I want to do it. And then I can say I've done it, and then I've scratched that itch. Totally. But, but nobody starts with that sense of, of like, well, I know where this is going. Yeah, no one goes to their first open mic, like, time to start the hour. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I started when I was 16. So I was just like, how old oh, do you know? I'm 25. Okay, well. Wow. Today's my birthday, actually. I'm 25 today. Hey. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I wish I'd known. I've got you nothing. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> this is all the gift I need. Yeah. No, but it, uh, yeah, it was totally just like. I've actually got oh, a video of Trey Parker crying as he shits himself. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you want? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But that's all. That's the only thing I've got. <laughs> that would make my day. So you, were, so you were 16 when you started. Yeah. And can you remember how that first felt? I remember I did one minute. Just a minute? Just a minute. Okay. It was in North Carolina, and it was like you they pull names out of a hat, and you get three, two, or one minute. And I had one minute, and it actually the first time all things considered went kind of okay. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes that's what tricks you. I'm like... Oh, I guess I could do stand-up and then you bomb for the next five years or, you know, like the yeah, next yeah. times are kind of brutal. But yeah, I just started like on a whim as like a high school after school activity thing and then kind of stuck with it. So were you in a club when you were 16 or were you? No, like... it wasn't through the school or anything. There was just like a open mic at uh, an improv theater near my house. Are you, are 16 year olds allowed in there normally or did you have to go with your mom and dad or? That one they let 16 year olds in, but then I quickly learned that the rest of the scene, it was a lot of like. You walk into the bar and you just don't buy a drink. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. then nobody cards you and no one asks questions. If I tried to start in New York, they probably would have. But North Carolina is like, you go to some rural bar in the middle of nowhere. They're not like carding people, you know? Yeah. And I really wasn't drinking. I was like, I swear to God, I just want to do stand-up. I'm not trying to like get yeah, messed up. Yeah, you were the only 16-year-old in a bar who didn't want to get served. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You were just like, what are you here for? I just, just want to talk. <laughs> I just want to talk to strangers. Because I started when I was 18. Oh, so wow. I started young as well. But, I, but 16, even the world of difference between 16 and 18, mm. do you know what I mean? It's kind of, I think if I met a 16-year-old, at school and I found out they were a stand-up, I would just be like, I'd be in awe of them. Do you know what I mean? Mm, I think it, it was kind of a cool thing where all the older guys, you know, it's mostly like the North Carolina comedy scene. It's a lot of like guys in their 40s. So it was kind of like having like 20 older brothers who yeah, like right. all knew that I was 16 and like... You're like the comedy version of Eleven from Stranger <laughs> yeah. Things. <laughs> you were just kind of wandering about. <laughs> totally, yeah. Yeah, so that's so funny. So by the time... So you've been doing stand-up for a decade already. Just about, yeah. Isn't that fascinating? It's weird. I'm like, there's nothing else in my life that I've done for that long. Yeah, and did you know from like when you were sort of 16, th this is it? Had you Were you a fan of stand-up before? Yeah, definitely. But right. I never was like, oh, I've like always wanted to try it one day. It was like kind of just on a whim. And then after a few months of it where I was like, you kind of look up and you're like, oh, I guess I'm doing this seven nights a week and I guess I do this now. Mm. And that was when I was kind of like, okay, yeah. And it's like the other comics you start with, like I remember like friends would be like, 
are we really doing this? Like, are you lifers? And they would, we would all kind of like push each other to be like, okay, let's actually like give it a shot. Yeah. But yeah, I like really loved stand up as a kid. But all the stand up I watched was like on YouTube. Like, I never really sat down and like, we had TV, but I remember just like being in my room alone in the summer and like finding like old, old stand up clips. And, and who uh, are you watching? I was watching a lot of like Maria Bamford. I love Maria Bamford, Dave Attell. Like Doug Stanhope and like early wow, Mark Maron. Yeah, I know, yeah Jesus really Christ. <laughs> yeah, that is a that is a crazy cocktail. <laughs> uh, yeah, a bit of, bit of Bamford, bit of Vettel, bit of early Marin. Yeah, yeah. For a sixteen year old kid, that's a lot going on. There. I know, it was like not I really want to the... hear what this divorced man's got to say. <laughs> it's just so. No, that was exactly the vibe. I was like, I don't know why I'm a sixteen year old girl that's relating so hard to like a middle aged man. That's why the Trey Parker thing hit so hard. I'm like something about. The psyche of an older man being like, man, it's falling apart. I'm like, brother, you're speaking to me. Yeah, isn't that weird? So you've, it almost feels like your inner child is a broken 50-year-old man. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know where you go from that. Like, if that ever seeps into your stand-up, it's going to be a really potent, weird mix. <laughs> the world's fucking changed, huh, boys? Like that. What, what are you talking about? Um, God, that's so interesting. Have you met either, like, Trey or Matt Parker? Have you, have... No, never met them. Okay. What would you do if you met them? Oh, my God. I, Are they kind of like real heroes? Yeah. I would be like, the dress thing at the Oscars changed my life. Right. That, that footage of them like on acid at the Oscars and dresses, I remember finding that in high school and being like, oh, you can just do whatever you want. Mm, mm. Like, you can you can live life as a bit. And they're like in their 40s doing that. It's yeah. so cool. I think that's this, they've remained so counterculture. Mm. whilst being a big part of the culture. Do you know what I mean? That They're, they're not celebrities. Mm. They're really famous comedy writers that mm. make a show. Do you know what I mean? But you never sort of see them, you know, at the stands, watching the Mets next to Taylor Swift or whatever. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They strike me as people that still hang out with their mates mm. from school and they still fuck about. And it's like, oh, should we dress up and take acid and go to the Oscars? Yeah, all right, why not? You know what I mean? Like there yeah. wasn't an agent going, I, I don't know if that's going to work with the brand guys. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? That they're so, I don't know. It's, it's quite cool to see massively successful people who genuinely don't give a shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Do you find that like hard to do? Is that a weird question? Like I've never taken acid and, <laughs> and or gone to the Oscars. But the idea of it, like, I find award shows really difficult because it's sort of, it's just so absurd. It's let's give this gold trinket to people who are good at pretending to be other people. Yeah. Like, I've, I've never got beyond that of just finding it all so silly. And yet when someone gives me an award, I'm like, of course, <laughs> thank you. But do you know what I mean? I, like, I, I just find them odd. It's like George Clooney got paid more than any qualified doctor will ever get paid mm. to pretend to be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. it, it's just fucking blows my mind. But it's I think if you were taking acid... It would make it really enjoyable. But I'd be worried, you know, we, we live in dangerous times. And if I started, like, licking, you know, Meryl Streep because I thought she was, like, a, a, yeah. a, a popsicle, I'm done. Because you, you can't say, no, 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 I'm on drugs. Do you know what I mean? I'd be yeah. worried that I'd start, you know, like, sniffing Samuel L. Jackson or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, being totally out me. of control on yeah. the world stage would be a little... I think if I'm going to take acid for the first time, I'd have to do it somewhere like in a tent in a woods mm. have you done other like psychedelics no but I love the idea of them mm. but again it always has to be for me it's going to be it's got to be a woodland it's got to be nature yeah I think if you know Amy Schumer's there 
and Judy Dench and Daniel Craig and all these people, and there's five different versions of me floating. <laughs> yeah. I just think, I think I'm going to shit the words help, <laughs> and that's going to go viral. <laughs> and then people are going to want that wherever I go. Yeah, yeah now, now you got to, like, sell tour merch that's this like, help! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the help guy! It's the shitting help guy. <laughs> How about you? Have you done psychedelics? I did mushrooms one time, but I have really bad OCD, and I think I've learned that, like, if you have mental health stuff in your family, it's best to not, like, yeah. you know, rattle the cage, so to speak. Have you ever done a gig uh, drunk? No, I've been tipsy one time on stage, and I was like, ooh, this is bad. Mm. And I just said, you see so many people who, like, cross the wires where, like, they learn how to do stand-up drunk, and they're like, well, I have to be drunk to do stand-up. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, if we do this every night, like, I just never wanted to, like have those be welded together. Yeah. Man. So I'm, I try to like, I never am like high or drunk or anything before I go on stage. What's your, what's your sort of pre-match ritual before the gig? What do you mm. do? I don't know. I've kind of, <laughs> I almost feel like because I have OCD, I need to fight having rituals. I'm like, it's really good for me if I like, yeah, I mean, don't like, let myself do rituals. When I think about it, like you've just said you've got OCD and me saying, what are your rituals? That's the worst question. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. Right. I'm like, well, just to make sure that my mom doesn't die, my family doesn't die in a house fire. It actually has nothing to do with the set. Um, no, I, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a whole thing of like, I, I can't eat a ton but I like to eat like a, like a little something. You know what I love is uh, peanut M&Ms. Oh. That's if I'm feeling like anxious and I just need like a little sugar spike, I'm like embarrassed to admit how much those like carry emotional weight for me. I'll, if I'm freaking out, I'll get like a bag of peanut M&Ms. That must be incredible. And also the very fact that they've become characters, they're now personified. <laughs> Isn't that insane? Yeah. That they're literally helping you through gigs. <laughs> I the orange M&M has anxiety. He's like a real... I think that was a part of their rebranding, yeah, right? Yeah, But then it turned out that they were being, like, sued for, like, child labor stuff. Oh, right. I wasn't aware of this. Yeah, I think when they were like, oh, the green M&M's actually gay and the orange M&M has mental health issues. And people were like, aren't you being sued for child labor issues in the Congo? And they're like, no, 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 don't worry. The blue M&M's bisexual. Like, it was just, like, this total PR campaign, I think. Wow. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not, I don't know that. Isn't that interesting? So hang on. So the, all the M&M's had different sort of issues. Yeah, they all have, like, some weird, like, identity thing they're going through. Oh, my. It's so serious for a candy. Fucking right, it's yeah. So, it's so ridiculous they're already characters, but then it's even more ridiculous that the characters aren't just, like, he's the fun one. Yeah. They're, like, he has post-traumatic stress from a difficult childhood. Yeah. And you're, like, the Eminem? But what happened to, like, Tony the Tiger? They're great. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, do you have the elves, Rice Krispies, Snap, Crackle, yeah, and Pop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everything should be buoyant. It's just the idea of candy... And then, because presumably, if, if I'm a kid, let, let's say I'm, I'm four years old, oh, I don't want to have that one, that's the mental one. Oh, the, <laughs> the, the yellow ones, they jump off cliffs. That's how they, that's what they got to do with the marketing. They make one of them normal, they make one, like, the red M&M's happy, yeah. and then you go through the bag, you only eat the red M&M, and then you have to buy, like, five times as many M&M's. Exactly, yeah. but, it, but it's just the, the very idea that you're sort of looking, and then, oh, that seems terrifying. <laughs> and, they, and then on top of that, they're getting sued. Hilarious. What is the what's the next thing in the uh, in the box? The next thing in the box is a joke that I have not stopped thinking about for probably almost 10 years. It was a guy in North Carolina, Philip Warren, and he would have these insane jokes. I, I only ever heard him do this once. We were we were at a uh, open mic. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there's like probably like four people there. And I was like, this is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And uh, he just goes, 
Uh, I think I might be allergic to cheese because uh, one time I ate a ravioli and then three days later I tried to kill myself. <laughs> it's like, that's the most brilliant thing I've ever heard yeah. in my life. But I love it so much and I put it in the box because it's one of those things. It's like, oh, I love like a genius thing that's kind of hiding in the shadows a little bit. Right. You know what I mean? I'm like, this literally just happened at an open mic. It wasn't recorded. Like me and my friends reminisce about it, but I'm like... It's cool to know that something that can happen just at any random place can be as funny as like, that's one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's cool that it gives you like a sense of optimism, I think, that like, oh, like those things can just happen anywhere. Like it makes you feel like you could turn over any rock and there'd be something cool underneath, you know? Yeah. Well, that it, it's the, the, what's his name? Uh, Rick Rubin has done mm. a sort of book about creativity. And the gist of it is what you're describing is that everything exists. It's just you've got to have the composure to to flip the rock over mm. and kind of find the, the jokes are everywhere. You've just got to find them. That's the, the brilliance of stand-up, isn't it? That we've all witnessed other stand-up comedians just spit out these moments and it probably meant nothing to him. And he's probably like, oh, yeah, a bit, bit of nothing. And yet to you, it's like, that was such a seminal moment of my life. It wormed its way so deep into me. And I feel like those are the best bits, too, where you're doing something else in your day and it comes back up. You, like, remember it years and years later. Mm. And it's, like, so cool that stand-up feels like one of those things where, like, some of the most, like, magical moments of it are in these weird, like, in-between-the-lines, like, odd places mm. that you, like, wouldn't expect to find something so great happening. What's the strangest place you've ever performed, would you say? Ooh. Oh, there was a there was an open mic in North Carolina at a gas station that also sold alcohol, which is a pretty unfortunate combination. But a gas station as well. So presumably the audience is kind of coming and going. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It's like the only reason you go to a gas station is to buy gas. Yeah. Yeah. But what you could do at this gas station is get a bunch of alcohol, get drunk, fill up your car, and then drive. Which is an amazing like, combination, it's eh? Really set up for disaster. So yeah. while people were getting loaded, you were basically trying to, hey, do you want to come watch some stand-up comedy? <laughs> yeah, this is like the most ambush show of all time. Where it's like, great. Yeah. So we've done, uh, we've done Trey Parker, Matt Stone. We've done jokes. What is the next thing? The next thing is uh, this place called the Common Ground Theater in Durham. Okay. It, I don't think it exists anymore. Can I still add it to the box? Of course you can, yeah. It's, uh, it There's was... definitely a theme running here. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, so we've got comedy writers, uh, we have a specific joke, and now we have a specific theater. <laughs> it's almost like you're planning your perfect day. <laughs> so it's a theater. It's a theater, but I mean, it was like basically a warehouse like way out in the woods in North Carolina. Like you, I remember to drive there, you had to like, you passed by a bunch of billboards that were like, you know, $5 guns and stuff. Like it's out there, out there. But it was just this little like independent theater. And I was part of, this is when I was in high school. We There's a thing called One Song Theater. Com one Song, yeah, it was just called One Song or like One Song Theater Company. And it was, had been started 13 years before by a student and it was entirely student run. So like it had nothing to do with the school, but it was like, a legit registered 501c3 that like got grants from the county, but it was just run by like 15 to 18 year olds. Wow. And so we would like, we, we put on a full season of shows. We had, we had a, you know, fall, winter and spring show. 
We had a summer show and then we had like a 48 hour play festival. And so me and some buddies were on the board of directors for it. And we would like. How old were you on the board of directors for a theater? I probably started when I was like 15, 16 and did it till my senior year of high school. Oh my God. Yeah. it was. So you were running a company. Yeah, we were running a theater company. Yeah. And we rented it like a real theater company. Like we paid them for the time and put on a production there and we would build the set. And I remember like, you know, kids teaching each other how to like build steps and build like, you know, backdrops. And like we had drills and like plywood and we would paint it and we would go by the costumes. And like we were really like it was completely DIY. Sounds like absolute heaven. It was so fun. It was so fun. And actually, I started doing it because I did a play with them before I was like involved. And uh, it was Blythe Spirit. It was Noel Coward's Blythe Spirit. And I remember our director, our director, mm-hmm. the junior in high school who was running it, yeah. w- we had to watch a ton of uh, Faulty Towers because she was like, I want you to understand like the pacing of this and like kind of why this is funny. And how old was she when she told you that? She was probably 17. See, this is what I love. So she was going around <laughs> giving you homework on top of your actual homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you were at school and you didn't understand the concept. And what did you learn from Faulty Towers? That... Americans are maybe, maybe we're stupid. (laughs) I was like, this is so, it was so like, I don't know, smart and quick and like dry. I had never really like, I didn't really know British humor like that before. I think that's kind of why she was showing it to us to be like, here's how these jokes are kind of supposed to be delivered. That's interesting. Have you met John Cleese? No. Oh my God. I think I'd die. Uh, So I- Have you worked with him? Yeah. Yeah. So I did some, we did a show together in Sydney randomly uh, for JFL years ago and he was hosting it. And I was at a hotel in Sydney and I saw him come downstairs and complain to the guy behind the front desk that the bin in his hotel room was too small. Uh, and he was oblivious to the fact that this was hilarious. <laughs> the, the guy was going, mate, it's, yeah, Basil Falder, you're doing the old fucking bin thing. Nice one. <laughs> and he was going, my bin is too, what am I supposed to put in here? A contact lens? Fucking brilliant. He's doing it. Hey, Sarah, come out. This cunt's paying out. It was unbelievable. It was like, it was a real window into, oh, he's different to who he is now. Wow. He's a very different, peculiar man. Nice guy, but there's a lot going on there. There's, That's and fascinating. He, he used to go to sleep before the shows. So we did two gigs at the Sydney Opera House and he would go to sleep and then somebody had to wake him just before he went on because apparently that helps creativity. Really? It oh, did, I uh, always feel so out of it. That sounds like fuck? a nightmare to me. Particularly as a man, he's like walking on, his hair everywhere. He had a bit of a semi <laughs> because he's just had like this erotic dream. It was Him coming out with like a nightcap and yeah. a little candle. Yeah, yeah. it's like, you're, like you're, you're never at your worst. Like, <laughs> do you know, imagine coming on, going, oh, hi. oh, fuck. Oh, God. Oh, my brain. So how are you? It just... So you, so you, this theatre, what was so special about it? Was it just that, I mean, talk about having a place where you can fail. That must have been yeah. amazing. In, like, in terms of you can have huge ideas just as kids and run this kind of, this camp. I mean, it sounds like a Netflix show, doesn't it? It's, yeah. But like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, that, totally. It's kind of like too real, too good to be real because it's like, who, where else does that exist? Like right. we like lucked out so hard that this just existed in our town yeah. because kids had kept it running and kept passing it off. I mean, there really were like, except for the one person whose parent we needed, we needed one parent to like sign off so that we could have a bank account. But other than that, it was like, we ran everything. And I think it was, I think what was so special about it and that theater in particular was like the sense of independence and the feeling of like, feel really capable. Cause by the end of it, your parents are there and we have like 
lights and costumes and like a set that we built and everyone's, you know, we put on like Cyrano de Bergerac and we were like, we did this entirely ourselves. Now you have to in the future, not, not your first, but certainly a special in the future. You have to film in there, don't you? Oh, that'd be so great. Talk about a homecoming. That would yeah. be so cool. That would be so cool. Unfortunately, I don't think one song is around anymore. I think the pandemic, because we had uh, such a passing the baton where it was like, you know, the freshmen come in and the sophomores yeah. hand it off to them that when there was that two-year interruption. Uh, yeah, that's such... There must be so many examples of that with COVID, mm. that these kind of little independent things that were, whether it's coffee shops or kind of like youth clubs or theatres or they're just getting by. And then yeah. COVID just comes along and just takes a two by four and just knocks them away yeah it's like of course amazon weathered the storm but what yeah. we lose is the like <laughs> yeah. community hubs of like yeah, man. yeah i remember like our favorite diner that i went to as a kid like also got shut down during covid and it was like oh that's like a place where you would like go and see 10 people you knew every time you were there and that yeah. like center of mingling is kind of gone which is really sad it's such a beautiful bit of americana the diner we don't have it's so quintessentially really yeah we have like but we'll have like mcdonald's like when you when you were a kid but you would never go to we don't have a denny's i feel like diners in my head are so tied to like road trips too and that also am i wrong that that feels like a very american yeah. thing like the american it, road trip it, it's the booth it's, do you know what I mean? It's it's kind of the burgers. Like sometimes there's like roller skates for some reason. Yeah. Do, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And what's so funny now is whenever I'm in New York, I get quite giddy by the concept of a diner, mm. but nobody wants to eat in the diners. Oh my gosh. Have you been to a Waffle House? I have, yeah. Oh, I, yes. I loved it. Well, I love a Waffle House. Well, I spent a lot of time, like I did a travel show with my mum. We went around, so we spent time in North Carolina. Me and my mum, we called driving around there, we called it Titty Highway <laughs> because it felt like everywhere you went, you'd see a Waffle House, you'd see a Denny's, you'd see a Popeye, you'd see an IHOP, and you'd see a titty bar, like <laughs> off the side of a motorway. That, like, do you know what I mean? I'm and like, that, oh, that's my home. Love yeah, but, it. Yeah, but that's what. And then when we were on the West Coast, we called it No Titty Highway because <laughs> there was no titty bars. Is that a big thing in North Carolina? It would appear to be. I, I, I've driven by them a lot. I've never been in one. Oh, sure. But yeah. like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I've seen that. But there was a lot of the Waffle Houses are like every five feet. And so yeah. I remember like after open mic, that was the place where we would go and they're open 365 days a year, you know, 24-7. Do you know about the whole um, Waffle House, uh, like, FEMA index? No. Apparently there's a thing that uh, after a natural disaster, because Waffle House is so determined to never close, FEMA uses it as a frame of reference for how much aid they need to send to an area. So, like, after Hurricane Katrina hit, they reached out and were like, where are the Waffle Houses closed? And that's where they were like, if Waffle House is closed, it must be really bad. Wow. And it's actually like a real like metric. They, it's a barometer for yeah, how things are. Yeah. Like I remember one time I was in a Waffle House and there was a huge power outage. There was a storm, like trees were falling over and we couldn't drive anywhere. We were like, we're stuck here. The power goes out in the Waffle House and this waitress is like, don't worry, y'all. We got our emergency menu. And she passes <laughs> us uh, like just like, you know, printer paper with like the things that they can make without power. And yeah. I was like, oh, you're completely unfazed. The emergency menu. The emergency menu. But that to me, an emergency menu... That it feels like something that should be handed out whenever you've had a bad breakup. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, if you're or in you're, a Waffle House, it's already yeah, an emergency. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your dad's died. You split up with your girlfriend. Whatever. Y'all need the emergency menu. <laughs>
What is the next thing? This one is actually joy? finally not comedy related. It's uh, my rabbits, Yoshi and Wilbur. I rescued them from one of them um, from a lady in Wisconsin. Well, he wasn't a rescue. I didn't know better at the time. And so I bought a rabbit. I guess you're supposed to, you know, like I go to a shelter and adopt, but I got a rabbit from um, this woman who breeds like show rabbits. Show rabbits? Yeah, like, like it's like the, the Westminster dog show, but for rabbits where they compete in like agility competitions and, you know, but this one rabbit, his ears were too long and he couldn't compete. What, because he was tripping on them? Yeah. No, they were just like not up to snuff, I guess. By the standards of like, but I'm like, doesn't that sound like the origin story for like a Pixar character? Yeah, like the I rabbit mean, whose ears were too long, but then like he learns, he uses them to fly or something. Are you fucking crazy? This is absolutely a film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I kind of. But it is like g- genuinely. I need to write it. It's the most adorable, <laughs> right? not not for rabbits because that's insane, <laughs> but for an origin story for a dog that can't go to Crufts because its ears are too long. <laughs> that's a winner. It's so cute. That is a winner. There's so much going on here. So you have one rescue rabbit that's kind of like, what's he called? The one with the two long ears, his name's Wilbur. He's called Wilbur. Wilbur. And then Yoshi, um, I got in New York. Somebody had like dumped him in a park. Oh. And this rescue found him. Because people think they can just let rabbits go. And it's yeah. like, no, no, they're like domesticated. They can't survive in the wild. And so I had to bond them. And like they get a little territorial, but you slowly introduce them to each other. And now they're like... They're so in love. They cuddle together. They like groom each other and they don't have a cage. They know how to use a litter box. So they just like run around my room. They'll jump in the bed. They're kind of like little puppies. Feels like they're like the living version of a hot water bowl. <laughs> yeah, I mean? totally. I'm not like, I find rabbits very scary and, and I'm really resentful of them because when I was a kid, my sister had a rabbit in a hutch lived outside and me and my brother had to clean the rabbit out. And I remember my brother being six and me being eight and him really vividly looking at me going, it's not even our beast. <laughs> like, it's not even our beast. That's what he said, age six. <laughs> and we were cleaning this rabbit out because my sister wasn't cleaning it. She was inside hanging out with my mum, and we had to get all the rabbit shit. And oh, jeez. I hated that damn thing. And then my dad, it got myxomatosis. So dad killed it. It with got that, what? You know, myxomatosis. No, what is it, that? It's a rabbit disease where basically they they start shaking and their heads get massive and their head explodes. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need to go home and check on them. I didn't no. even know that could happen. I swear, I swear. Like, oh, no. Quickly, put, you, put your headphones on and Dan will... Uh, Dan, am I right? Hello. Myxomatosis, is yeah, it? Yeah, mi- myxomatosis. Certainly. Oh, my gosh. Just ex- to explain what happens. Okay, so it's, it's it has been reported in North America. Just check that first. Some in Oregon, California, Washington. It's pretty rife. Uh, so what happens? Their head explodes. Oh that's, my what God. I was, that's what I was told. Yeah, not just their head. It's their head and their genitals. There you go. <laughs> no! There you go. That's that. Seen a bit, Dan. Happy to help. So there you go. So myxomatosis. So the heads and the genitals explode. And I saw my dad kill one with a hammer before that happened. So, oh. he, so he was doing a kind thing. But what he didn't do was explain it. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? He just went He went to what I believe Kanye calls deaf comfort. Like he just <laughs> straight to the hammer, bang, 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 bang. And then explained it. And afterwards... <laughs> We were That's like, horrible. yeah, yeah. We were like, oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have done the kind thing, but you know, w- while he's doing it, it just looked like 
you know, me and my brother shared a look where you're like, I think we're going to have a new mum and dad now. <laughs> oh Do you know God. what I mean? Like when you see your dad killing a rabbit with a hammer, you're like, I think we're probably going to be in care for a while, but we'll be fine. We'll get through. Oh, no, no, cool. He's done a kind thing. Brutal. It was bananas. Oh, my God. So hopefully that doesn't happen to your rabbits, but I think it only happens when they go outside. Okay, it's like contracted in the wild. Yeah. And stuff. One of the reasons I was like, they're so precious to me and I want to put them in the box is that one of them, Wilbur, has had... A slew of medical issues. First, he had syphilis. What? Which I used to do a bit about this, but it's like you show up with a pet with syphilis and you have to be like, yeah, yeah I don't know. I didn't do, I don't know where he got it. Yeah. I don't have syphilis. Like, this looks bad. But apparently he might have like gotten it. Um, you know, I mean, they could have picked it up anywhere. He could have gotten it at the vet like another time. It, and rabbit syphilis is different from like human syphilis. Yeah. But he had rabbit syphilis. Then he had MRSA. What's MRSA? MRSA is like... Um, it, it was a big thing where it was like running through hospitals. It's like an antibiotic resistant strain of staph infection. What like it's f- like, I mean, you had to like, we had to get like a biopsy taken. of it. And I was like, do you think Wilbur was picking the lock and he was going out fucking? <laughs> no, it sounds like he it had feels, like a seedy underbelly life. It feels like, like, you know, because, you know, your, your mum and mum's going out every night to do stand up. It, <laughs> it feels like Wilbur. He's looking at Yoshi and you're like, I'm off out fucking. Yeah, and his ears were too long, so he had low self-esteem, so he was kind of seeking that on the streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and then he had to get a section of his liver removed. Because oh, he was drinking as well. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah. wow, Wilbur. So how did you figure all this out? Because rabbits, I would struggle to see how a rabbit had syphilis. Yeah, I got to be, he had these like scabs on his mouth. Gotcha. And I was like, this can't be good. And yeah. honestly, I didn't think of them when I first got them. As a pet that you took to the vet, I was like, you have a rabbit and it's pretty binary. It's either a, li- a live rabbit or it's a dead rabbit. Like, yeah. I didn't know there was like rabbit medical care. Yeah. But now, like, it's actually kind of cool because you I've met these like exotic vets that specialize only in like rabbits, lizards, birds, like and they're really what a waiting room <laughs> yeah that must be absolutely it's like fucking Noah's Ark. It really is. And then you're in there and it's I mean, the other people with those kinds of pets, you're like. Oh, am I a weirdo? Like you are in a room with people where you're like, I guess this is who I am. Yeah. Me and the 80-year-old guy with a lizard. <laughs> but what is it about the 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 rabbits like versus say a dog? If you're getting the same, are you you're just not a dog person, you just Yeah, I don't know that I have the time to take care of a dog right now, but yeah. rabbits are like prey animals and so you really have to like earn their trust. Yeah. They have like these little personalities that I never would have guessed. You know, I thought it was kind of like having a pet turtle and it's like, no, they really do like have their own distinct personalities and they run up to you when they get home. So it's cool to like have to take it very slow and be very calm and like see them like start to trust you. Yeah. Is really rewarding. Do you ever take them out for a walk? There used to be a girl around our way called Penny and she used to take a rabbit for a lead. She went well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When we were kids, yeah. she's like Penny's taking a rabbit for a strut and it was like, I think at one point someone saw her walking the rabbit and the rabbit was dead. <gasps> like Penny was gone. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, that's like, there's not, it's not behind the eyes. Yeah, and as a kid, you you know, you treat that with respect, obviously. (laughs) You don't shout mean things when you're nine. No, I've thought about it, but I'm like, one, I don't think I can be that girl walking the rabbits in Brooklyn with the bangs. It's just, it's a rough look. But it feels like what strikes me being in, I I haven't been to Brooklyn, just walking around Manhattan. Everyone's got a dog here. Mm. Everyone. And it feels like it they're they're almost like the animals in New York, it feels like they're your uh demons. Have you read the Philip <laughs> have you read the Philip Pullman books? 
Almost like the golden compass, like you have your little. It's like, exactly that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, that. Yeah, that's what it is. It's, oh, is that the? Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It's exactly that. It's so funny to me that you'll see a guy with a husky or a chihuahua or a corgi or a and it's just like wow, everyone is projecting their personality mm. through their pets. I yeah. wonder if that's with you. You're kind of like you when you sort of talk about the rabbit. It's kind of like takes you a while to get to know them. Is it that? Do you it's think? a little bit. I mean, I have like really bad anxiety, and I've had like you know, panic attacks my whole life. So there probably is something a little bit to like looking at a prey animal and being like, yeah, we're operating on the same wavelength. Like I also hear a rumble and I'm like, someone's going to eat me. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, So what's that like? So if you say you've had panic attacks your whole life, I can't imagine that and stand up going together that easily. But what drew somebody who was anxious to stand up? Yeah, weirdly, stand-up doesn't make me that anxious. Right. Because it is like you have such permission to be like over the top. Yeah. That you can't really be nervous about being over the top. It's yeah. like, well, you better be. I have, ha I've had panic attacks on stage before and that's brutal, but I... What happens? I just, I freak out. It, it's like a fight or flight thing that's almost not attached to any concrete idea. It's just the feeling of like... I need to get out of here or I'm going to die. Like something's yeah. wrong. And it's so irrational, which is why it's so frustrating. Yeah. Um, but I, I take Prozac now. Like, and I, I think I spent so much time trying to think myself out of it. And I was like, it's not a think yourself out of a thing. It's, it's chemical thing. Yeah. And it's really amazing too. It really makes you go like, oh, I'm just a sack of meat and chemicals and inputs <laughs> and outputs. Cause like, but that's one a good thing. Goes... You're saying that as a good thing. I'm just a sack of meat. And that's... <laughs> it's weirdly kind of liberating though. Oh, Cause yeah. he almost takes the ego out of it where you're like, Oh, I am so at the mercy of whatever soup of chemicals is happening in my head that mm. it's like, it's not about my deficit as a person or blah, blah, blah. It really is just a chemistry problem. Yeah. 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 What's, um, what is the final thing we're going to put in the box? I've saved the stupidest thing for last. Like stupid in a good way where I'm like, it, <laughs> my dad and I were in line at Disneyland. And I'm, this is maybe the hardest I've ever laughed in my entire life is we were standing in line for Space Mountain. And it was some ridiculous, like a four hour wait time or something. And yeah. we were like, we got to do it. We love this ride. And halfway <laughs> through the line. You? How old is he? At the time, he's probably in his... 40s and I'm 12. Does that math add yeah, up? Perfect. Somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah. And we're standing in line. We're probably two hours into this four hour line. And, you know, it's just snaking. And we see a human poop that somebody had clearly not wanted to give up their place in line. Wow. And it's like the line's moving slow. So we pull up next to the poop and then we're just standing there. And we're like, it's not a dog poop. Like we're looking at it and we're like, <laughs> it's not a dog poop. It's a human poop. And we're like, slowly piecing together, oh, somebody didn't want to give up their place in line. So yeah. they pooped in their <laughs> pants and like shook it out of their pant leg yeah. onto the ground and kept walking. We still talk about it. We're like, yeah, the Disneyland poop. I, I don't care. I'll take it with my bare hands to put it in the box because it made me, <laughs> it made me so happy because it's like a perfect physical joke too. Like you just see the poop and then it's like, you have to piece together the rest of this story oh, yeah. and this person weighing like, do I get out of line? It, well, and presumably there, there's that moment when they've been on the ride and then the guy who, or the girl who's looking after the ride says, did you enjoy that? And they say, I found it terrifying. And they have proof <laughs> because they've got presumably a skid mark. <laughs> was it and did it live up to it? It was. It, that's the thing. is, I'm like, this person must have gotten off the ride and been like, 
wasn't worth it to shit my pants in public. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> buddy, it's not that great. Yeah. It was worth it for us. We It actually made the line more entertaining. But if they shit themselves in the queue, what hope for the ride? If the queue was too much, <laughs> the, the ride is going to unleash all manner of feces. That's just... <laughs> And it would have been great if as you walked through the line, you saw more and more. You're like, oh, they threw up. Okay, they're getting more nervous. Like <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you see this person like really the, struggle. The scratch marks in the in the floor. Yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> yeah like they were here. buried alive. <laughs> the funny thing, too, is <laughs> I think part of the reason it's so funny is that it's so ridiculous. But then we went, I kind of get it. Right. So you were in I agreement. I kind of get it. So that's a good point. Let's say you're three hours in. Would you shit yourself <laughs> what do you shit your fans but do you know what I mean is it enough I think what I would have done if I'm being honest and let's say okay 12 year old me at the time I think what I would have done is shit my pants and not shaking it out yeah and then you go to the bathroom after the ride yeah and then you go to one of the gift shops and you get like Mickey Mouse pants sure but I mean you're gonna have to do I mean you're gonna have to sit down gingerly <laughs> <laughs> is, is my point. Do you know what I mean? If you're yeah, kind of, it's going on, but it's going on loop de loops and like coming out yeah, your shirt. Exactly. Yeah, but and presumably people would think you've got rickets, <laughs> so they'd let you get to the front of the queue. Do you know what I mean? You, you're going to have to walk with a wide stance. <laughs> have you ever shit yourself in public? That's a great question. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I have. Have you? Me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, but not not a huge amount. But like, I was on the phone to my friend Al, and uh, he made me laugh, and I was like, ah. And it was so matter of ah, that bit of shit's just come out. I'm, I'm gonna call you back. <laughs> and I told my wife about it, and she was just like, "The fuck is wrong with you?" Um, I definitely pissed myself from laughing in public. Yeah, it's and great. That's rough. Isn't it the best? Like, not for you, but to be the person that makes somebody. Like my auntie has had seven kids, and <laughs> she, that's the best segue into that. But she won't come near me and my brother. Like, <laughs> like once we're if we're at a family party and we're really paying out. She knows because we can get her going. Like, do you know what I mean? It's sort yeah. of like, I don't know, there's something there's something magical about seeing old ladies really howling. Mm. And and there's that kind of, they're running the risk of peeing themselves, but they don't, they <laughs> don't care. Do you know what I mean? I think it's my favorite laughter. You know, when you see like a grandma and she's just gone and you think, we, we could have a pisser here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to see what'll make your grandparents laugh too because they've seen a lot. We think about it so fragilely of like, oh, don't curse in front of your grandparents. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, They've been through wars. They've had sex. Like they've seen inherent by nature. They've seen more than I've seen. Yeah. And so what actually makes them laugh is like, but have sometimes they... it's dark stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's it. That was amazing. What's, um, what's next? Where can we see you? Yeah. I'm on Instagram at Maddie T. Wiener. Um, I'm going on the road in the next few months. Um, I do shows in New York and I have a podcast called Phone is in the Bag with my friend. Um, but it's all on my Instagram if people want to yeah, check that out and come see a show. Amazing. That was so much fun. Thanks, Thank you mate. so much for having me. Pleasure. That was Maddie Wiener's Wonderbox. You can see more of her stand-up and find out where she's performing on Instagram, where she's at Maddie T. Wiener. That's it for this week. See you in seven days. <laughs>